Thank you, Roxanne. Now, might just test the volume of this. Might be just a tad loud, because one hour recording, if I'm punching out through the speakers too loud here, I often pull the mic back a bit. Our recording was a little bit quiet um, last time. So, because I'm pulling the mic back because speakers are a bit loud, so I might just drop the volume just a tad, and uh, that should be good. Fantastic. Well, great to see you at church. There are a lot of people sick with flus and COVID and stuff at the moment, but um, they're staying away, so, so not to infect the rest of us. <laughs> uh, last week, as you know, I spoke on baptism, and uh, that's partly because there's some interest in our church, uh, people wanting to be baptised. In fact, we have uh, five or six uh, mostly our young lads of 15 and 16 that are wanting to be baptised, one that's a little bit younger, and one of the mums of a youth member because she's a relatively new Christian and hasn't been baptised yet. And so we have a baptism service coming up very soon. Now, as you know, we're in a shared facility here, a wonderful partnership between the Arabic Church, and so Arabic Baptist and North Church Baptist, um, and you know, it means that we do combines kids' church regularly. We um, at at youth on Friday nights. We have a mixture of Arabic kids and um, kids from uh, an English-speaking background, um, which is wonderful. But it also does mean, say, running a baptism service on a Sunday morning is a little bit of a challenge. Two auditoriums in the venue, but it's the Arabic auditorium that has the baptistry. And their service usually goes a bit longer than ours too. So Sunday morning's quite a difficult morning to do a baptism service. And so uh, it was suggested to me, well, then why don't we do it? Especially because it's mostly youth that are being baptised. Why don't we do it on a Friday night? And so that is the plan. So it will be Friday the 12th of August, a baptism service. I'll say that again, Friday the 12th of August. Seven o'clock starts. Uh, we often start our youth with a barbecue, and so we may well do, we're going to do that again. Uh, so we'll start with a barbecue, so slow start in that sense. So we'll have a meal together, and then about, that'll probably take 35, 40 minutes. Then we'll come in here for a worship time, and the plan is to use uh, mostly our youth musicians for the worship time. Um, and uh, then after that, we'll have a short message, and then we'll hear the five or six testimonies of the various people being baptised. And then finally, we'll go to the second auditorium and actually conduct the baptisms in the baptistry there. Uh, and so that's coming up on the Friday the 12th of August. Now, I realise it's involving uh, young, uh, the, the youth families, but, the families with youth, but, of course, we'd love everyone to come along to that event. It'd be great to be there. Yeah, fantastic service. Well, today I'm speaking on the topic of sowing and reaping, sowing and reaping. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, I was just thinking this week, have you ever had one of those moments where you get a bit of a financial hiccup? I don't mean you've, like, you know, you've set up a business and it fell over and you've lost a huge amount of money. I just mean one of those little moments where you think, well, that was a waste of money. You wasted a lot of dough there or that, you know, oh, we've got this massive bill or whatever. And my next-door neighbour... Uh, Andy, he was a carpet layer. So I lived in Berwick for about 12 years. He was my um, and uh, Andy, after laying carpet for a week, he was, his muscles were pretty sore and he, he was thinking of himself, to himself, I'm going to get one of those massaging chairs. Now, they're pretty expensive at the time. They, I think they were generally retailing at 2400 at the time. Expensive item. He found them online for 700 Got one. I remember Pamela and I went went across next door. We tried it out. Thought it was very cool. And um, anyway, 
I know he was hoping to get the full quality, even though it was a lot cheaper. Unfortunately, about a month later, it started the malfunction. It was no longer massaging him, it was wounding him. And so he, you know, he's emailing and calling the manufacturers and they're just not responding to him. You know, I was 700 bucks there. That did not work out too well. Uh, actually, eventually he pursued it so hard that he did actually get a replacement chair, but it took months. One of those little moments, you know, we, we have those, don't we? It reminded me, actually, I was thinking this week of the story about the... the who went over to Mexico to start a business. No problems there, no financial hiccups with the business. That went really well. But he had a hankering for a donkey. He thought, well, if I'm in Mexico, I'm going to really Mexican. And so look, where I'm staying is the vacant block, have my donkey in the vacant block. So he had a hankering for one of the classic Mexican donkeys, big ears and the saddlebags either side, a bit like this fella. And uh, <laughs> so anyway, he, he went off to an auction and he bid uh, on, on, on a donkey that he particularly liked and he got it, 500 pesos, and included in the price the farmer would deliver the donkey to his place. So about three days later, when the donkey was due to arrive, he gets this call from the, uh, the Mexican farmer. He's on the phone. Uh, senor, 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 I have bad news for you. I'm driving my truck to deliver your donkey and I have an accident. I scratch my truck and your donkey donkey's head. Your donkey's dead. The Aussie guy didn't mind too. He just said, well, no problem, mate. Just give me back the 500 pesos and we're square. Oh, senor, I have another problem. I've already spent it. It's a lot of money. I mean, I don't know when I have 500 pesos again. Long conversation on the phone and eventually... The Aussie businessman thinks, you know, I'm not going to get the money out of this guy. And so he decides, you know what, mate, just deliver it anyway. I'll, I'll think of something to get my money back. Perhaps I'll auction it off. Senor, how are you auction off a dead donkey? Don't you worry about it, you just deliver it. Anyway, about a month later, he's uh, in the Marquito at Cuenavaca, um, at the big markets, and um, the Mexican farmer spots the businessman there and he yells, Oh, senor, 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 how you go with that dead donkey? You auctioned it off? And the Aussie fella said, Actually, I did all right, mate. Doubled my money on it. Senor, how you double your money on a dead donkey? Well, I sold raffle tickets. Five pesos a ticket and I sold a thousand pesos worth of tickets. <laughs> senor, do not the people complain? Or just one. And I just gave the winner back his five pesos. <laughs> now, if you're, you're, you're an entrepreneur, you know, you can have a little financial hiccup and you can, you can make a profit out of it. Let me suggest this. You don't have to be an entrepreneur during financial hiccups if you're a sower in God's kingdom. Let me say that again. You don't have to be an entrepreneur during financial hiccups if you are a sower in God's kingdom. I remember getting home from church when I was working at Crossway one Sunday and uh, it, was, it was November, very, very hot though, and I remember opening the fridge door and uh, there's a white fridge, a bit like this one in the picture, and the whole door just came off, that top door just went poof. So the casing must have been gradually getting eaten away and the whole thing just fell down. We could not get that door back on. And we thought, oh man, it's about seven years old anyway, it's not worth getting it fixed. 
But, you know, a new fridge is expensive. It's one of those items you've got to buy right away, too, especially in the hot weather. So um, you just think, man, we don't have 1500 bucks in the bank or whatever it's going to cost to get a new fridge. Anyway, I was back to Crossway in the morning. Uh, Will Graham was preaching, actually, at Crossway. Um, so I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Will Graham. That's Billy Graham's grandson, brilliant preacher. He gave a call. People came forward and got saved and stuff at Crossway. It was great service. But um, during part of the older call, which went on for a while, my wife ducked out and she was um, just checking my, went to my office and was just checking emails. And as she's checking through the emails, she says, oh, we've won a $2,000 voucher. He said, what was that for? And she said, oh, that's right. I was in the shops at Fountain Gate Shopping Centre and they were pestering me about signing up for this thing and you could win a prize. And she didn't want to sign up, really. She knows they just want, to, want your email so they can send you stuff to try and sell you things. But, um, but she signed up and she won. And so we thought, oh, far out. So she was telling me about it just after the service and so we went the next day, went and collected our voucher and got our fridge. Now, we just always remembered it because we hit this financial little hiccup. Oh, man, fridge has died. Got no dough on the bank. And there was this provision that arrived right at the same time. And I know there'll be some of you here today, you've been sowing of your resource into God's kingdom for years. And you've got a few of those stories where sometimes God just steps in and he provides that financial resource when you need it. I know it doesn't always happen, but it certainly does at times. Sowing and reaping. My first point is this. Number one, what you sow is what you reap. Number one, what you sow is what you reap. Have a look at this scripture here in 2 Corinthians 9, 6. It says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should give what they have decided in their heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. It's a common phrase, isn't it? We know that phrase, actually. It's in movies and stuff, isn't it? In the Western world, you sow what you reap. It's all over the place. You hear that quite a lot. It's quite a lot of protests in the Bible way into culture. But you read that passage as a whole, it's actually not talking about farms. It's talking about finance. It's about sowing your resources into God's work. And uh, what you sow will be what you reap generous into God's work he'll be generous back to you another point number two the quality you sow is the quality you reap the quality you sow is the quality you reap Malachi 1 8 says this when you bring blind animals for sacrifice is that not wrong when you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals is that not wrong try offering them to your governor would he be pleased with you would he accept you says the Lord Almighty um, to give you the context of that situation, we're in the Old Covenant here. It's an Old Testament book, Malachi. And um, part of the Old Covenant was that your worship included bringing a perfect lamb without blemish as a sacrifice to the Lord. Now, what was going on is um, farmers were giving not their best lamb. They were given the dodgy one. You know, God can have this one because it's, it's lame anyway. God can have this one. It's diseased. A God can have this one, it's blind, it's probably going to fall in a ditch, kill itself. You know. And of course, they were also the people of Israel, the ones who were not farmers, they were buying the dodgy animals because they were cheap. And they were the ones they were offering in God's kingdom. And God was angered by this. So rather than giving your best, they were giving their worst, the, the least important. Sowing a quality offering is important. Phil Pringle, who... Um, 
started a church in 1977, which he initially called Christian City Church, and it's become this part of the C3 movement, movement that started with that church. Phil's been pastoring that church since 1977. He's still there. In one of Phil's books, he, he talks about sowing a quality offering. And he remembers when he was um, just a young guy, uh, kind of saved out of the hippie kind of thing. He was very hippie when he was in the 60s, young, young teenage lad. Eventually got saved, finished his arts degree at university, did a lot of painting, apparently very good, but he couldn't sell them. He had no dough. <laughs> so he's a new Christian, not much money, and he felt... God was talking about, you need to be generous in my kingdom. And he thought, what do I have? I don't have anything much. Oh, I've got a very expensive guitar. And he ended up giving that expensive guitar into God's work. And he goes on to say, when I made that choice, it's, it's just been interesting to reflect what God did with that. And so he said, over the years... I don't know why, I have been given several expensive guitars. And he went on to say the first of these he was given, he started to write songs. And as some of you will remember, back in the 80s and 90s, full Pringle songs were being sung all over the world. And in fact, I remember when I went to Mexico, I, I did a short-term mission there, and um, uh, preaching with an interpreter, but went to quite a few different churches, and... You'd occasionally, like everything's in Spanish, but you'd occasionally recognise one of the old hymns. I didn't recognise any of the American, British or Australian choruses anywhere except for one. And the one song that they were doing was a Phil Pringle number. Um, you, you remember it. Remember this one? Fear not, for I am with you, fear not. For I am with you, fear not. For I am with you, says the Lord. I bet you've sung that before, a lot of you. Why don't, why don't we have a crack at it? Let's do the claps as well. Fear not, for I am with you, fear not. For I am with you, fear not. For I am with you, says the Lord. That was pretty good. Let's just do it one more time. Some of you are getting the hang of it. One more time. Fear not, for I am with you, fear not. For I am with you, fear not. For I am with you, says the Lord. Yeah, well, that was the one song. <laughs> Nothing else I recognised. I think it was all homegrown stuff, the rest of it. Um, you know, about that concept, the quality you sow you, the, is the quality you reap. He went on to say it wasn't just the fact I got back expensive guitars. It was the fact that God took something within me as I was willing to give something work in my heart. It was something that seemed to influence the way ministry went in the future. So I've got one Phil Pringle book here to give away today. Um, some of you know we've been doing a bit of John Maxwell stuff, especially in core leaders. He does some great teaching on leadership. John Maxwell says about the book, real help for real people wanting wisdom in a world of conflicting messages about something as fundamental and profound as their money. John Maxwell. Great Phil Pringle book, this one. Wait, wave a hand. Anyone can have it. First in, first served. There we go. Thank you. You've got to be quick, you see. That's the thing. <laughs> ah, first time in church for a long time, actually. So it's good to get a gift when you come to church, isn't it? <laughs> and first time as in this church. Probably. Number three. The measure you sow is the measure you reap. The measure you sow is 
so is the measure you live. Jesus' own words, Luke 6.38. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaking together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So what's Jesus saying there? Well, at its simplest, he's saying you give generous amounts of your resource to God, he will give generous amounts of his resource to you. Um, give and it will be given to you. You doing the giving, um, and it's not—it's not just about, but it's about the percentage. Young Tom, who's being baptized, is working on his um, testimony or his, his story of salvation. And one of the things he said to me, because I usually ask them, uh, "What's a favourite passage you might like to use as part of your story?" And he said, "One of my favourite passages is the one about the widows." coins or the widow's mite. You remember Luke 21, first four verses, where Jesus draws attention to the fact that there's a lot of people that are giving of their resources into the temple, giving an offering of their finances into the temple. And uh, highlights the fact many of these people are giving out of their plenty. But this poor widow here, she's just given two coins, but actually that's all she had. She's given all the living she had. And so the others may have been giving 10% of their resource. She gave 100%. She gave the lot. And we're still talking about her today. Give and it will be given to you. The measure you sow is the measure you reap. Number four, the harvest may take time. The harvest may take time. James 5, 7. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. Here we see the imagery of patience. Still this analogy of sowing. Now, a farmer has to be patient before they get the crop, don't they? You don't plant the seed and then, boom, it's popped up straight away. The next day you've got it, the harvest. No, it takes months, usually, doesn't it? Months. Sometimes when they're, say, planting a big vineyard, before the, the, the wine they're producing gets to the right standard, it could be years. But the concept here is that it takes time. It's not immediate. And it's like that in God's kingdom. You sow of your resource into God's kingdom, sometimes there is an immediate response. But not always. You need to be patient. God will bless you. Uh, I remember a story um, about some Africans. There's a Misho uh, organisation that was reaching out to this African community and um, they were, the way they lived was, was kind of hunters and collectors. So, um, they, so they didn't do any agriculture, they didn't do any farming. It's a very simple community. And what the Mishos wanted to do, they wanted to do more of a, how can I put it, a hand up rather than just a hand out. And so for a small amount of money... They encouraged them to buy a heap of pumpkin seeds. It was reasonably fertile ground. There was water nearby. And, and they showed them how to plant them. And they, they planted this big pumpkin seed crop. Now, this is going to amaze you, but it's what happened. About a week later, the community were hungry. So they dug up all the seeds, washed them, kind of pushed them together with something to make little pumpkin seed cakes and baked them and ate them. And the Mishos tried to explain to them, if you could have just waited, you wouldn't, wouldn't have just had a one small meal for your community. You would have had lots of food. You've had many meals. 
but they, they just couldn't, couldn't get it. But you know, Christians often can't get it into their heads if they are just patient sowing into God's kingdom. It will pay off. Christians often can't get it into their heads if they're just patient sowing of their resources into God's kingdom. It will pay off. Uh, now, I know there will be seasons when it's tough as well. And this is all part of how God works. Because if he blessed you immediately every time you gave, where would faith be required? You wouldn't need any faith, would you? Because if it's just this simple mathematical reality. But he does like to develop faith in us. You know? um, and so in other words, what God is encouraging is yes, sometimes he'll bless you quite quickly. Other times there'll be seasons where it's a really difficult time. But as you continue to faithfully solve your resource into his kingdom, the time will come when you'll be blessed because of it. Have a look at this point. Number five, God gives resource to the sower. God gives resource to the generous sower. Now have a look at this scripture here. 2 Corinthians 9.10, it says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. Now just stop there for a moment. His, the Apostle Paul is still using this farming analogy. And he's saying he who provides seed provides food. He's referring to God. So often we can think provision is all about, well, it's, I, I provide for the family because of the money I earn. It's me that's providing but actually the bottom line, Paul saying, is ultimately the provision is from God himself. The passage goes on. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You notice there, you see, as much as we keep using seed and sower, what Paul is talking about is actually not fruit and vegetables, He's actually talking about spiritual stuff. Your harvest is going to be one of righteousness if you sow into God's kingdom. And then he goes on a little further and says this, verse 11, you'll be made rich in every way. Do you hear that? You'll be made rich in every way. You sow into God's kingdom, but you'll be made rich in every way. You know what that must mean? It must mean financially rich as well. It's not only righteousness. He's saying you'll be made rich in every way. It must include finances. You'll be made rich in every way. And that doesn't even sound spiritual. Why would God want to make people rich? That's ridiculous. That's not, a, that's not spiritual. But listen to his reason why. You'll be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. What's his point? He's saying he'll bless you with financial resources so you can be generous. That's his point. Now, I realise that as I share that, some of you will be thinking, yeah, but Lee, if I was to give, say, 10% of my finances into God's work, it's just yet another expenditure, and I can't make ends meet as it is. But as you're seeing from this passage, actually giving into God's resource is not actually an expenditure it's an investment. That's what these scriptures keep saying, that God is going to bless you for it. Let me put it this way. Many of us have bought a car. Now, a car depreciates very quickly. You buy a new car, five years, it's worth half what you paid for it. 
But also, so that's, that's expenditure. But also, we know about investment. If you buy a house, in five years' time, that house is worth a lot more than what you paid for it. Ten years' time, more still. By 15 years, it'll be worth twice what you paid for it. It's an investment. And this is the analogy that we keep seeing here in these scriptures, that you sow your resource into God's kingdom. Ultimately, it's an investment. He will bless you for it. And clearly, these scriptures are saying, it's not only spiritually bless you, he will materially bless you. But you must first make the commitment to say, look, I'm willing to give. Now, I realise, look, there are people in this church that are tithers. They give 10% of their income faithfully every month, and they've been doing that for years. And the, the church financially is viable because of the tithers of this church. But there are others who give nothing at all, and others who give very little, and that will be the case in most churches. But we're talking here about something as fundamental as obedience to the Lord. Last week, I challenged people about baptism. It's actually an act of obedience. Jesus expects people to be baptised. This week, I'm talking about something completely different, but again, it comes down to what do the Scriptures say? The Scriptures encourage us to be generous with our resources. When When I was a new believer, I remember one of the phrases that I remember hearing was, if he's not Lord of all, well, he's not Lord at all. In other words, if you put God first in some areas, but you don't in others, like I like that scripture, but I'm I'm certainly not doing this other one over here. Well, if you're picking and choosing what you obey in the Bible, who's the boss? You're still the Lord of your life, aren't you? Not him. It's only when we're willing to surrender and say, actually, Lord, I'm going to put you first in every area of your life. I've heard uh, someone say, the last part of a human's life to get surrendered to Christ is often their wallet. (laughs) I think there's some truth in that. Let me tell you a story about a a guy who found he just could not outgive God. Young businessman, committed Christian guy, and um, he decided he was going to start a business, and from the onset, from the beginning, he said, I'm going to give whatever I pay myself from this business the first 10% is going to go to God's work. And, uh, and in the first year, the business did not do too well. And it was pretty hard to give that money away because he had virtually nothing. He was really struggling. The thing was not working. Second year, opposite. It exploded. Had to employ a bunch of staff. And he was making so much, it was hard to give it away then because it was an awful lot of money. <laughs> but he kept on faithfully tithing to his local church. Well, about three years later, he was earning so much, he thought, you know what? I'm not going to just give 10%. I'm going to give 20%. The year after that, he gave 30%. year after that, he gave 40%. The year after that, he gave 50%. He was paying himself half a million a year this time, and 250000 he was giving to his local church. Well, you know, he had um, pretty extravagant holidays. He'd um, been blessed by... Uh, learning that he could not outgive God. And so when he did, did a holiday, he did something pretty cool. Uh, and so he decided he wanted to, one of his mates flew, flew planes. And so with his mate, he wanted to go visit some tropical islands and uh, some of the ones that are not so touristy. And so they, they took off from Sydney and off they went. Anyway, along the flight, they hit a nasty, nasty storm. 
Uh, it's daytime, but everything went black, lightning everywhere, turbulence was insane. And the pilot's saying, okay, look, we've got to get out of this storm. And through some of the flashes of lightning, um, he could see a, a large beach in one of the islands. And he thought, look, we're going to have to make it, we're going to try and make it to that beach. But the turbulence was so furious as he's trying to get the plane down, it kind of started skimming across the waves and boom, it, the plane just broke up. They already had their life jackets on and they managed to grab a survival kit and it was close enough they were able to swim to shore. Exhausted, but pleased that, you know, they were, they were fine. Anyway, after they've recovered, the pilot gets out his mobile and he's trying to call, you know, and he's trying to text and said, this is hopeless, there's just no reception here at all. Of course, why would there be? We're in the middle of nowhere. He's getting pretty frustrated. And the young businessman says to him, don't worry, don't worry, I earn half a million a year. And he said, well, your money's no good here, mate. Anyway, a little bit later, uh, the pilot says, okay, let's, let's gather up some of these um, this palm leaves and stuff. You know, I've got facilities here in this bag where we can light this stuff. Let's, let's uh, try and you know, get, a, get some smoke into the air. Someone will spot us. Anyway, they're trying to get this thing lit, but everything's soaking wet from the storm. <laughs> and the pilot's getting so frustrated. Oh, this is horrendous. We're never going to get... We're not going to light this. Who's going to find us? What are we going to do? Don't worry. I earn half a million a year. Stop saying that! Anyway, they go on a little further, and um, the sun's out now. Storm's gone. It's really hot. And the pilot says, goodness, I don't think there's any running water on this island. We're going to dehydrate. And so then he spots some coconuts. So they managed to get up this, this tree and knocks a few of them down, and he's got a knife in the survival kit, and he's trying to slice this thing open. Then all of a sudden, twang, the blade breaks. And he's like, oh, my goodness, what are we going to do? Who's going to rescue us? And then, again, the business said, don't worry, I earn 500000 a year. And he said, why do you keep saying that? Well, you haven't let me finish my sentence. Don't worry, I earn 500000 a year. I give half of that to my local church. Don't worry, my pastor will find me. <laughs> uh, let's recap on what we've had a look at today. Five points so far. What you sow is what you reap. Number two, the quality you sow is the quality you reap. Number three, the measure you sow is the measure you reap. Four, the harvest may take time. Five, God gives resource to the sower. And finally, one more point, follow God's example of sowing. We'll make a point of that. Let's uh, look at this. Follow God's example of sowing. Look at Jesus here where he says in John 12, 24, I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. We need to die to ourselves in the sowing process. This is the, the fundamental reality. Can I suggest this? Jesus left the splendour, the riches of heaven, and was, became a seed, if you will, and was placed in Mary's womb. And ultimately, of course, he then dies on the cross for the sins of humanity. But then raised, rises from the dead 
And there's this huge harvest of souls. Hundreds of millions of Christians all over the world today. But Jesus gave up everything to make that possible. The fundamental reality of sowing and reaping, this is the bottom line. Let me read the whole passage. John 12, 23, it says, Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The person who loves their life will lose it, while the person who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. Where I am, my servant will also be. My father will honour the one who serves me. The fundamental reality of sowing and reaping, the bottom line is, Jesus sets the example. He dies to his will, he lives to his father's will. For you and I, we become generous in God's kingdom as we die to ourselves, solve our resources into his kingdom. Let me pray for you. As the worship team returns. Father, we're aware today that we've been learning that if we sow our life into your kingdom, we will reap a harvest. And fundamentally, Lord, we want to be a people that really are willing to die to ourselves and our own desires, our own ambitions, our own inclinations, and really understand and receive your will and purpose for our lives. Help us to surrender. We think of that um, challenging scripture that says, the one who loves their life will lose it, but the one who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And Father, I realise it's so easy to be focused purely on ourselves, loving our life, whereas actually what you're saying in that scripture, the one who disregards their life and rather seeks first the kingdom of God, the one who dies to themselves will be blessed of you. So Father, help us to surrender. Help us to surrender all in your kingdom. In the authoritative and powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.